This is it, people. This is what you've been waiting for. This is Everyday Celebrity Podcast. The podcast for everyday people with everyday problems trying to find everyday solutions to accomplish everyday goals. Let's start the show. You, 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 you. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Celebrity Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Owandi, as you guys know. Uh, today, we have two special guests with me. Uh, I wanted to talk to these brothers because one is, one needs some guidance and one gives guidance. Ooh, which one am I? <laughs> <laughs> I've walked into a trap. I mean... <laughs> Both both of them are successful, but uh, yeah, one uh, I went to uh, a all black meeting at UC Berkeley, and then one the way he was talking just inspired me, so I wanted to have a one on one interview with him. His name is Marco. He's the he works at UC Berkeley. He's in charge of diversity. Uh, he can tell you his exact title. And then I have another guest with me. Uh, his name is Raheem fashion model if you guys don't know him check him out he's on all ads levi's gap h&m all that in the bay area raheem marco uh, welcome to the show glad to be here yes indeed thank you for having us raheem you gotta talk you gotta like talk loud into the oh my bad my bad uh glad to be here yeah i mean you gotta lean into it all right i got it so uh marco what's your title at uh berkeley I'm the Associate Director for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the Haas School of Business. Okay, and what is... Uh, oh, yeah? That's right. Heem, you know. Heem, shut up, nigga. I'm, I'm talking <laughs> to you, yes, my brother. I got to... Let me, let, me let me ask him some questions real quick. So, uh, what does that really uh, include, basically? Uh, it mostly includes getting more black and Mexican students, staff, and faculty in the business school. And then also creating a... Uh, a culture where they feel safe, uh, they don't feel marginalized, and uh, a lot of the racist stuff that happens on campus, we want to uh, minimize that and have less of it. I mean, and so I'm um, creating brave spaces for students, staff, and faculty of color so that way they feel safe and, and, and included there. There is, I mean, Berkeley, what's the percentage of black and Latino students there? Do you know? I don't know Latino. I know for black students, it's 1.7%. And I'm assuming that's very that's lower than it should be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's lower than anything should be. I mean, consider you know, 100 percent and yeah. 1.7 is black, uh, and we're here in the Bay Area, right? And um, you know, I'm Oakland native, so I'm, I'm used to Oakland. You know, it's it's a lot of black folks here, and uh, 1.7 is just abysmal. Now, why do you think uh, that is? Why why is there such a low population at Berkeley? Uh, racism. Um, I think uh, a lot of folks who are doing, you know, some of the admission processes um, don't come from those backgrounds. They're not black or brown. And so what happens is when, they, when they're looking at applications, um, they're looking for people that, that look like them. And when I say look like them, it's not necessarily in looks because they don't see them at, uh, beforehand. But what will happen is um, they went to schools that they went to. They have similar backgrounds. They have similar 
um, things that they like to do, like extracurricular activities. So, you know, if and so when they read an application and, you know, it's somebody that that matches what they think is going to be successful. A lot of times they do that. But then also um, it's not a safe space for black people. Um, a lot of black kids come and don't get me wrong, you know, staff and faculty member. I think a lot of people get to Berkeley and just assume like, hey, this is Berkeley. It's right next door to Oakland. Black Panthers all, and it's going to be super diverse. And they get there and it's like, where's the black people? And not only is it where's the black people, but then you start seeing all kind of racial shit happen. Right. I mean, a few years they had some they had some nooses hanging around campus. You know, you got. Republicans and not not anything against Republicans in general, but, you know, some racist Republicans is putting out literature and, you know, and then, you know, in the classroom is, is problems. If you're a black student and you, you know, a lot of stuff that gets done in the classroom is, is by study groups. Well, we find out the black students don't get cho- chosen for study groups. And so black students end up trying to figure this shit out on their own and then they dropping out. And mm. so it's, it's, it's a host of issues that uh, UC Berkeley got to deal with. Mm. I remember, uh, when I used to come out here and like when I was young, I used to like sneak in on campus into the like the frat parties and shit. Yeah. And I, I swear like Berkeley, like when you think of Berkeley in the past, you think of like the 60s, like people in like in Vietnam, people protest and then civil rights. Right. And like Berkeley was all about protests and like we're here fighting for the cause. But it's definitely not like that now. I mean, I experienced like like upfront racism uh twice in my life and they were both at uc berkeley really in my whole life really how'd it go well the uh, the, the two situations was when this uh we tried to get into this frat party right mm-hmm. and then there was this white chick and i mean everybody was drunk right and then we uh the white girl was like on us because i mean we black you know what i'm saying you yeah. know how the white girls are yeah <laughs> and then uh so the frat boys Came up to us, tried to kick us out of the party, and then uh, told the cops that we uh, we broke in there. And then they were like, yo, these hood rats. Basically, it was the language. They were like, yo, these hood rats snuck in our, uh, wow. and tried to, uh, basically, they tried to say that we were trying to, um, like, rape this girl. But we we were out in the open, like, mm-hmm. talking to the chick. Damn, you almost got caught up in one of those situations. Exactly. But it wasn't even, we didn't even, it wasn't even no touching or anything. But that's right. how fast it can happen. Exactly. You know I mean? yeah. Based off of just some words. Yeah. You know and I mean? then and then the other situation was uh, I was walking and then these uh, these group of white girls were walking behind me and they didn't know that I was in front oh, of them mm-hmm. and they were like, oh yeah, you were making out with the, with that nigger all night and all this other shit. I must have turned around and like. I knew if I would have slapped the bitch, I was I would have went to jail. But I like mm-hmm. literally cussed around shit. But those are the only two times that I really experienced racism, mm-hmm. because everywhere I mean I know racism exists everywhere, but yeah. a lot of people are not bold enough to say that type of right. shit right. in front of you. Mm-hmm. And the only time that type of shit happened was on Berkeley campus. I I will always remember that shit. That's telling. Yeah. I've experienced racism all throughout my life, especially. Um, Moving from different school to school since I've been in elementary, uh, going from, you know, East Oakland to San Ramon, you mm. know what I mean? And then from San Ramon to Texas for okay. three years. And so um, I've experienced with a guy in w- one of my schools in middle school, called me a nigger, pushed me on the ground and kicked me in the stomach. I got suspended for three days. Wow. Another situation, um, I think later on that year, I was playing around as kids do through uh, a P. At another kid, that kid, whatever, told somebody I got suspended for about three days. 
but he was throwing stuff as me at me. And the person that got me in trouble was right. the person that was watching us, like the, the counselor or whatever. So, uh, amongst other things, I've been called nigger off of, uh, you know, on the streets or whatever in Texas. Um, I've been kicked out of homes because I was hanging out with their son and their son might have been white. You know what I mean? Wow. And uh, but many situations, but it's all coming from. I, I looked at it. I came to a, a realization to where people only know what they know. They grew up with certain type of propaganda about a certain race and they that, that grows within them. So they raise their children that way. The children don't know anything other. So they grow up in that shit because the rest of their friends are like that. Right. And they grow a community of this type of uh, ideology and these type of thought. And once it gets to you, it's they don't necessarily think about it. Even if they think twice about uh, this, this guy is cool and maybe I want to get to know him, their friends will stop that immediately because they'll, you know, put that energy on you. Right. So after a while, you start to feel just look at people as what they are. And, you know, they aren't what they um, have been taught. You know, you, you are who your, your experiences kind of grow you into be. So if a person is mean and racist off the bat, I'm not necessarily going to be writing them off. I more so want to talk to them and figure out where your racism comes from. If you have a good you know, explanation for that, that's where I'm at now. But throughout life, I had anger and wanted to fight people and got in trouble. And every single time, you know, mm. you're going to, you're going to lose. Oh, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? So, uh, racism is still that thick to, to this day. And I didn't necessarily think it was nooses and, and such at Berkeley. Yeah. I guess, uh, but you know, it's just all over, you know, it's, it's pockets, but now that social media is here, we get to see more and uh, it highlights all of this bullshit that's happening and i hope it starts to turn for the better and i think it's starting to turn for the better yeah i think so i yeah. think uh one uh, again it's being highlighted more mm -hmm. and now there's like you know social ostracism yeah like you get found out that you're racist you know i think a lot of people i mean honestly i think a lot of people will be closeted racists and i say that because i believe that's the only way donald trump got elected Right. Because it's, it's too many people out there that's like, fuck Trump, fuck Trump, fuck Trump. Mm. Everybody I know says that, but somehow he's, he's winning a lot. Mm. But I mean, you raise a good point. And I'll just use the analogy. When I was growing up, uh, we'd be driving in the car. My mom would tell me that you can't turn that little light on. You, you, you know, we get pulled over for yeah, it. Right. Yeah. I believe that shit to my 30s. Oh, absolutely. And, but it's not true. Right. But it's just something my mama taught me. You're talking about the indoor light yeah, in the car? Yeah, the little indoor light. No, it attracts <laughs> attention, though. It attracts, but it's and not it, illegal. But it's, it's not illegal. And you no, can't no. get pulled over for but it. But that's a good thing that she told you that because it attracts attention to it towards you. And as soon as the cop looks in that window, sees you're black, it's, now it's a whole other situation. This so is true. That's but, good that she told you that. But the point is, I think, is that just learning something when you're young mm -hmm. from your parent, you'll believe that shit for the rest of your life. Yeah. Unless you find out or have a reason to find out something different. And then you'll and develop that hatred for this this body of people. Exactly. Based off of just certain thing that your mom just instilled in. Yeah. Because you have a sense of fear for these people. And then there's confirmation bias. And, you know, so basically, if I think, you know, black people are lazy, I'm going to look around. And if I see somebody black not working, all of a sudden my mind mm -hmm. says, you know what? That's yeah. right. Even though I didn't walk past 45 other black people that are working... When I see this one, it's confirmation bias. So you'll, you'll find what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. And your friends and your community will just embrace that. And exactly. they will just, you know, empower that feeling because they're just as ignorant. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's more so about your influences, too, is around you. You know, you can just have two or three friends, but those two or three friends impact you in negative ways that will extrapolate your negative way of thinking. Right. So, and that's an unfortunate thing. And that doesn't matter how old you are, and it doesn't matter what race you are, because there's black people just as racist as these white people. 
and they're as ignorant about it as I say white black people, people are. are prejudiced. I wouldn't say racist. Racism is no. an institution. Racist, black people, racism is about power and influence. Black people mm-hmm. don't have power in America. True. And true. so I think black people can be prejudiced. But in regards to uh, prejudice about race, but, line but when you come to racism, we don't we don't have the power. I mean, when you talk mm-hmm. about racism, racism means that somebody can stop you from getting a job. Mm-hmm. It means that you can throw a pee at somebody else mm-hmm. and you get suspended and them and they fucking stay in the class. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a part of racism. That that doesn't happen. We don't have that option. There's not going to be a situation where a little white boy is going to throw a pee at you and you throw one back and he gets suspended for three days. What do you think about with black people towards uh, the Mexican community? Because black people are in somewhat more in power than they are. So we could employ them a lot more and we might uh, attach certain stigmas that we're used to, to thinking about Mexicans. So we'll treat them a certain way because of what we think. But they're extremely smart and talented and strong uh, group of people. But because of the certain things that we know about Mexicans, they just work on your house and that's it. You know what I mean? And. We I mean, kind of I mean, look that, at them in a in a small box, so we would con- we can also treat them negatively. So let me tell you something about Mexicans. Mexicans, when you look at Mexicans, like when you go to work, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say there's like three Mexicans. Those three Mexicans are going to talk to each other and become friends. 100%. They're going to hang out. They're going to take care of each other. Now let's say there's three black people at the same job. Mm-hmm. Three black people ain't gonna be and they ain't gonna bond like those Mexicans. Well, they won't. You, 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 uh, Mexican won't even know a motherfucker from Adam. And then as soon as they find out he's Mexican, they go link up. It's because we don't have that trust from a foundation standard. I feel like a lot of people, especially in, uh, uh, say the hood, don't necessarily have that trust. If you're an outsider, you come into the hood, you don't look, walk, or act like them or speak like them, they necessarily will look at you as an outcast and they can treat you a certain way. You know what I mean? So I feel like we have that as well. And that it kind of like stops us at a certain point for getting to know each other and to have that connection to where if we come across one another in a random place, we automatically have that. Hey, what's up? You know what I'm saying we start talking like how we normally would. We don't. We have that fear that somebody's going to do something to us or he's shady or that's a, a natural thing that I think that African-Americans have towards one another, especially like the younger Youth in our age, our generation. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think that um, I think that you're right, but I want to just I think from historical context that was instilled in us yes. from slavery. Yes, right. Yes. And so house you know, nigga, you slave. T- right, yeah. right. Light skin, dark skin, yeah. divide and conquer. Hundred percent. And because that was instilled in us, many times, many of the things that we do, we inadvertently pass that down, yeah. not even realizing it. Yeah. But it's just and some of the things that you know we'll say, we'll do, how we'll behave, our kids will pick up on it, mm-hmm. and. It, 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 it just becomes bigger and bigger, and then we don't even know why we do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it was instilled in us to keep us from coming together. Mm-hmm. And so I think that now we have to be deliberate, mm-hmm. right, on making those connections, on dispelling those myths, on telling our kids, like, hey, you know, that's not your enemy. 100%. And I'll be honest, you know, I, I work on it now. I mean, I'm, I'm born and raised in East Oakland. You know, I, I, I grew up, you know, rough, if you will, mm-hmm. and um, had the same thing. I mean, I remember if you came down my... Down my street, 73rd and Well Street, you know, I didn't know you. We want to, I want to fight. Mm-hmm. Just period. I mean, it's just a, a fucking pit bull mentality, right? right? Yeah. Um, and some of that still lingers in me. Mm-hmm. And so I walk in spaces and I'm like, I size up everybody as soon as I get in the room. Mm-hmm. And as I have, you should, though. I, but I have to tell myself, you know what? Especially when it comes to black men, mm-hmm. actually, he's on my side. Yeah. Right? It's, it, it, instead of taking my mind to, okay, 
what would I do in a situation shit go bad? You know, who I'm a, who I'm a punch first. You know, I say, you know what? That he's my team member. Mm-hmm. You're my team member. All right. And so I have to consciously do that to this day mm-hmm. because we were raised wrong. Yeah. And then a lot of this shit was putting us intentionally and we got to reverse it. This is this is this is my view on uh, uh, on why black people don't kumbaya with each other that much is because we black people are the only ones that are in competition with ourselves. White people, they want to be us. They, t- mm-hmm. they take our style. They I mean, they want to date us and blah, blah, blah. They uh, they envy our culture. Mexicans envy our culture. I mean, they have their own culture, but a lot of them envy the black culture. Uh, Filipinos, you can go down the list. Chinese people, especially Chinese. Asians, they love black culture. Black people are the only race that don't, uh, like seek out other people's culture. Like we don't, when is the last time you see black people like try to embrace Mexican culture or, or Chinese culture? So we are at the top of the food chain. So we have no one to, so basically we are in competition with each other. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand. Cause everyone else wants to be us. Yeah. I can see. So it. that's, I mean, that's how I feel about, uh, about that. It's just an interesting dynamic because we're at the top of the food chain there and they're at the bottom of the food chain everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And so that's, that's the fucked up dynamic, right? Because now we got this great culture. We got these great traditions. We got all these other things that everybody else wants, but we don't benefit from it. Right. And so, you know, white people want to be like us, but they're not advocating for us. They're not hiring us. They, they, they're not giving us, you know, opportunity at, at the housing in the, in their neighborhoods. I feel like that's because we show, and that goes back to the slave mentality, uh, one versus black versus light skin versus dark skin. It goes to that competition to where, uh, damn, I almost lost my train of thought. Uh, we have that competition with one another because from the very beginning, we were separated. And so we were looked at each other like uh, he's better and I'm less. And so I have to compete this much stronger to that guy because he looks better than me. And it's going through your DNA all steps of the ladder. So it comes into, you know, if you come from a different neighborhood, and you have nicer clothes than this black dude over here that ha- does not have nicer clothes. He automatically is mad at you. He's angry because you, you have something more to him. So he wants to compete with you instead of just kind of working with one another. So. Society we, has seen that we can't work together. So they don't pretty much put us up here because we haven't put ourselves up here to link up and work together and build a unit like they're trying to do now with Jay-Z is building Black Pyramid, uh, the Black Pyramid, the Rockefeller thing. And he's got all these other corporations. Kevin Hart's opening up so many different lanes. Uh, Lipsy Hustle was doing that and opening up uh, so many different lanes, especially to the uh, uh, the tech so the tech world. See, he's, he, these type of people are helping their community. They're trying to link and build each other up. But for so long, we didn't have that connection because we didn't have social media for us to talk to each other and meet each other. We were stuck in our pockets and we were just getting used to what we were used to when we were staying down here. We weren't able to connect. Now we're able to connect. So now we are able to build a community and build ourselves up to that t- that totem pole where we actually are because like all of the other cultures are pretty much taken in our culture because we are a culture. Mm. We started with the shit from Africa with dancing and all of this, the, the beautiful beads and colorful. Drums like we have yep. the drum. We have that. We started all of that. So of course the rest of well, the that, world is going to love that shit. Let me, let me, but hold on my, to my point. As far as the rest of the races, I feel like they're not 
stealing or trying to be us, I feel like they see something that we like that we embody and they're like, shit, that's beautiful. I want that. Just like you see somebody with a nice ass car. You're able to have a nice ass car. But you look at yours and be like, I like that car. I want to probably paint my car like that, put some rims on it so it looks better like that. It's just someone appreciating you and embodying and making that within themselves. I don't feel like it's stealing. Now, some people do steal culture, but, you know, you can kind of tell. Some, you know, it comes off a certain way. It's not as uh, authentic. But when I was in Japan and I saw that culture, it was their culture, but they just took pieces of the hip hop and, and, and black culture, but it was tastefully done. It was respectfully done. Huh. You know what I mean? Even one cat was out there rapping Eminem, bro, freestyling. You know what I mean? And I was like, that blew me away. Right. Asian cat in Chinese. But I knew the song. because right. I. But I was like, yo, but it was not like he wasn't doing all this other shit. He was, he was rapping it. And, and, and that's just like, you're just respecting a culture. And African-Americans, we started the culture. And everyone just loves it. That's how I look at it. All right. Well, let me, uh, let me ask you guys this. Like what you were just saying, everyone, everyone black that you would talk to, I guarantee if you talk to like 10, you go to 10 black people and you talk to them, of course, everyone is going to say, yes, I support black, but we should have this black, we should have that black. Mm -hmm. Now, if every, all the black people feel this way, why isn't that happening? For an example, everyone wants to support uh, black businesses. Why isn't it? Why isn't it that black people don't? Why aren't black businesses the top of the top of the line? Why is it that uh, black media? Everyone, oh, we should support black media. How come black media is not like the top of media? I'll, I'll, so I'll, let's I'll, let's yeah. let's get some realistic. I mean, all this hoopla, like oh, black, black, black. But when it comes down to it, black people don't support black people. But you'll say. You should support black story, people. You, so you, let me let me hear your uh, your answer to that. Well, my thought is this: uh, America's racist. America was built on racism, right? And what you have to understand is, even if you're black in America, you're a part of that. I grew up thinking Vanna White was the most beautiful woman on earth because I didn't see no black woman on her, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, on TV. Or, and yeah. so you know, there are certain things that are part of America that are anti-black, and if you live here, you're going to learn it. And so, a part of us, we have anti-blackness in us. We believe, you know, uh, subconsciously, if you will, some of the same shit that the white races believe, right? We, we, we know it ain't true. And especially on, you know, on a grander scale, but it's some stuff we, we, we believe. I mean, you, you'll notice a black person going to black business and have a bad experience and talk about, man, that's why I don't support black businesses. Apple fucked them over. They don't say that about Apple. They don't say that about white businesses. Somehow it's ingrained in us that black is bad. And so when you talk about us not supporting black businesses as we should, Again, it's, 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 it's deep in our roots and it's deep in our subconscious and we don't realize it, which is why, I mean, we have to be very, you know, we have to be very conscious about it. You have to do it, right? You have to say to yourself, you know, consciously, okay, I could go here, I could go here, but I'm going to support the black business because it's black. Because I, I promise you, as an American, you have some, some anti-blackness in you. And I don't, and trust me, I'm hella black. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm blackity black. I mean, I, I do black shit. I'm, I'm hundred black men of the Bay Area. You know, I got black kids. I only date black women, you know, black. But I realized that this, this shit is in us. And until we address it and, and even more so to your point earlier, like the next generation teach them something different. Mm -hmm. 
because it's been ingrained in us, right? And so we have to be conscious on, okay, I realize this is a part of me that's fucked up. And so I got to be intentional about fixing it. And not only that, I got to be intentional about teaching the next generation, hey, you're going to believe this. There's going to be some things that you think, but it's not right and go against it. But I love to hear your thoughts, bro. Um, well, how do, you, how do you fix it? I just wanted to ask you that. Like, how do you kind of make steps to fix your, your, your way of thinking versus how you used to think? And how do you kind of like fix that? What do you do? Surround yourself in blackness mm-hmm. and figure out. I mean, for me, I'm, uh, since I'm born here, born and raised here, I got a lot of connections here. Right. And so for me, I do my best to shop black. Mm-hmm. Last weekend, I was at Spoil Boutique. I took my girl to go buy some shit, right? We could have went to Macy's, mm-hmm. right? We could have went anywhere else, but we went to Spoil Boutique because it's black owned, mm-hmm. right? Let's stop there and we're going to spend our money there because my dollar needs to be back in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to share black shit on my social media, right? And I know I got white friends that are offended. And I know some people are like, this is just too much, but fuck that because mm-hmm. I don't receive too much white shit all my life. Mm-hmm. And so again, you have to be very conscious. And sometimes- No, it wasn't white shit. It was more Asian shit. Well, I it was mean, China. Well, hundred percent, probably made in China. Probably all, made all in China. Of it was made in China. But I'm saying, in this room was made in China. Well, what I mean is, is not just the things you purchase, but the things that we see. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we 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 believe, you know, straight hair. Mm-hmm. That's whiteness, right? We get that from whiteness. That that's more better, right? And and things like that, like fairer skin. Mm-hmm. So light skin is called fair. Why the fuck is that fair, right? That doesn't make it, you know. But that's what we haven't been ingrained to believe. I mean, it's, it's fair color, fair texture. Well, fair is under color. Fair is in a color. We we believe fair to be a color because again, that's what we've been taught. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's white, it's black, it's dark, it's light. Mm-hmm. But we we so fair just means kind. Of, there's another word for good, mm-hmm. and so we ascribe good to lighter things. And again, we have to think about these type of things and reprogram our mind mm-hmm. and be conscious about it. Well, to go to the uh, to, to, to to I guess uh, promote and buy into your black businesses and only to do that. I believe. In doing that, but the only reason that I don't do that 100% is because I love clothes, I love fashion, just like you do, and I just like good quality things. Sometimes so black, you can't. Black stuff ain't good quality. Some, the stuff, some of the things that I come across, <laughs> the, like let's say, no, no, let me not, let me not say that because there was a company that I just stopped wor- working with, and it was great, great products, and the way he handled it, everything was put together well. His material was very put together well, and I believed in it. But that type of uh, business doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen where you are the fashion that we have. You don't see uh, too many black owned businesses that have that fashion that we look for. That's all within their own company. Like they don't outsource and then they have a, a, a shop full of all of every everything else. But it's black owned. That store is black owned. But everything in there isn't black made and black owned. We don't have that. So I'm saying I respect those type of businesses, but you don't but see those do you, very often. Do, do you, you know, know those? Do you, do you know those high, those European, like high end, yeah, those high end, end clothing? Uh, do you know that they don't want you to wear in their clothes? A hundred percent. Gucci, Fendi, uh, mm-hmm. Prada, all those designers—they don't want black people uh, wearing their clothes because they—they they feel like that that diminishes their brand. Right. But, Absolutely. But black people are the number one people who buy that shit. You know what? You want to know uh, why? Who, who makes it? Uh, basically, promotes all of their products. But if those same black people were to buy, let's say, uh, there's a clothing, uh, there's an Oakland designer. Um, damn, what the fuck is his name? He was at the Black Joy Parade. Um, I have a sweater from him, but uh, let's just say it's, uh, uh, I think it's called Zuru, Suru or something like that. Uh, have you heard of them, Suru? No. 
So they they make clothes, right? So let's say all those black people start wearing those. Let's say let's for example, let's say Jay Z was to wear that sweater. Mm-hmm. It'll blow it up. It will blow it up. That's exactly instead why of wearing, wearing instead of wearing a Gucci, uh, but that's fucking why sweater. people are wearing Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Giuseppe, and all that shit. No, they're wearing it because because they think, oh, I have to buy this Gucci to order to to get accepted by the white people. That's, that's why. That's they're why they're also wearing it. it because Jay Z wore it, and they're wearing it because Gucci Mane had it on in the video, and because they had it on the video, if they wear it around their do friends, you, their friends. Are do you think do they you got do you money. remember Cristal back in the day? Cristal, yeah, Cristal, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cristal, by Jay-Z. yeah. And every all the rappers were drinking that shit. And yeah. then, uh, do you know the owner of Cristal said, "I don't want my bottles in their rap music videos." But I bet and you then Jay-Z they stopped. A, and then Jay Z stopped. Jay Z stopped. He was also getting and a check. And then what from happened? It, you never heard about Cristal again. Did he you was not? also getting a check from it in the beginning. That's why it was being promoted in all the videos because he was getting a check to promote that shit. You know what I'm saying? That but was yeah, guerrilla marketing. He was but the point, the point, the, the point is these 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 companies don't fucking want even though even though we're the main. They don't want you to, but they still gonna pay you to do it. Just why? I mean, I'm just saying they gonna they, they, they cashing out just like Gucci Mane. A lot of these cats get signed deals with these brands. And they're not going to say no to a million dollar deal just to wear the clothes for free. Then they wear it on the shoe. And now you're watching the video. You want to buy the shit. Everyone, that's how cats buy it. They're, they're sponsoring it, their product. You know what I'm saying? And All right. Well, let, let, let's, let's, let's end this subject. And <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now. I, I feel like they should be promoting, you know. All right, Heem. What, uh, you just started talking. I didn't even get to introduce you yet. We didn't. Uh, yeah, I was so- gonna say that. Oh, I wanted to. I wanted to into, um, talk about um, on that topic uh, as far as black businesses and respect. Yeah, the, the topic is over. Well, it's not gonna be over because I had a story <laughs> that I wanted to share with that because I worked with a brand that was uh, very. Um, he was a black owned business uh, from Oakland. Uh, good products. I worked for him for the face of his brand for about two and a half years. Um, as I worked with him for two and a half years, I was just, I believed in his brand. That's so why I kept working with him, but I'm also signed to another, you know, another agency also working through them. But I believe in his brand. I wore his shit, did the video shoots, the video, the, the, the photo shoots, all that shit. Two and a half years in, I said, Hey, man, I want to buy into it. I want to invest in this company. I believe in it. It can What's do the name well. Of the brand? I'm not going to put him out there like that. Why not? Um, he and I ended on uh, not so good terms because of uh, what I'm about to say. I, I, I offered him. 10 bands out of my own hard-earned money. And I was like, look, I want to put this in and either exchange for equity or, you know, put in for a, a storefront, you know, and I just get like an exchange. For, we do something like that. Yeah. Just something real quick. And uh, spit in my face and was like, nah, man, I spend that shit on leather jackets. And I'm like, bro, I'm just trying to invest in your brand that I feel like is, you know, it's black owned. This is something that I want to, you know, will help you with. You know what I mean? Maybe he didn't want to give up ownership. No, it's no ownership. I'm, I'm exchanging for a percentage of equity just to be a part of him. Instead of being the face, I want to work alongside him. Mm. I want to build it because there was a lot of things that I felt like I can help improve with not only his, you know, his product, but also, you know, storefront, what have you, to build the brand. And I want to work with that because I'm working in fashion. So why not, you know, help him with, with the shit that I know. But it was that where another brother didn't, I guess, want to work with somebody else that he felt that was beneath him because he didn't have as much money or he didn't have the connections that he had. So he was like, no, nah, I don't want to work. F- fuck him. But nobody else is 
is willing to, to, to throw in their type of money and investment. If I put $10,000 in an Apple stock, I'm pretty sure they're not going to text me back and be like, no, nah, no, nah, bro, we don't, we don't need that. You know what I'm saying? Why wouldn't you work with, you know what I'm saying? Now, if I did that to a white dude, somebody could look at that and be like, why wouldn't you do that to a black business? Like I'm trying, you know what, what I mean? the point is, and and I know we got to switch, but mm-hmm. I'll say that unfortunately we have a lot of business owners and a lot of black business owners who don't understand equity, who don't understand ownership and, and the difference. And so many times, uh, a lot of black businesses mm-hmm. don't necessarily you know reach the next level mm-hmm. because they want to control it all, and yeah. they don't understand the importance of receiving ten thousand dollars from somebody else as an investment to move forward. Mm-hmm. But the issue with that is we're not taught that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but this and, is a grown man. though. It don't matter. It don't matter. You can be a grown ass man and not be taught. Nothing, right. Right. And so I know a lot of grown people that don't know a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not taught the importance of equity, if you're not taught, you know, business principles. And I'll, I'll say that, unfortunately, in black homes, we don't even talk about finances. We don't even teach our kids about taxes. We don't teach right. our kids about saving predatory lenders and things like that. And so if you get somebody and, you know, and you have that situation and I'm not saying that he's not wrong. I mean, that was fucked up, right? Mm-hmm. And and the way he went about it was even more fucked up. Mm-hmm. But what I've what I've come to see is that many times you black businesses, black business owners don't understand the importance of equity. They don't understand the importance of, you know, uh working with other people. Mm-hmm. It's about ownership. And, you know, I can go with a whole, you know, thought process on that because unfortunately one of the things that was taken away from us during slavery and, you know, throughout history is many times we don't necessarily have the esteem. We don't we don't we, we have issues with how we see ourselves, yeah. right? And so that's why you can somebody can step on your shoe and you feel like they disrespect you so much that you want to shoot them. Yeah, yeah. Because you have so much built in your, you know, in, in, in just you. Because honestly, that's all we have. Mm-hmm. It's just myself. And so when somebody builds something they're by themselves and they, they create it, yeah. a lot of times they don't want to give that up, unfortunately. This is true. And that's why we don't get to the next level like other races do. But I understand that, but why can't we at least try to wiggle that somehow how can we penetrate that way of thinking and try to open that like open up our minds to okay we can try to work with each other i understand you know get, with, get with different sets of black people now it and i'll just say you know and i'm not trying to plug it i'm yeah. an organization called 100 black men of the bay area you should plug it it's, it's 100 of us wait, right? wait, 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 wait. i don't want you to get into that yet okay because i want right. to i want to i want to do a whole little uh session on that I just want to say that they do business deals mm-hmm. because they understand the importance, okay. right? And it's good to have that type of circle of people around it is. you. It and is. I mean, that, that's basically what, you know, getting back to this. If you would have approached one of them with that same 10K, they would have loved it. And they probably would have mentored sure. you and helped you, you know, form your own brand. Yes. And so it's out there, but unfortunately, it's just not as prevalent as it should be. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times you can get burned fucking with the wrong people. 100%. So uh, that's the prime example of why i invited um marco on the show and he paired them together because i know uh him i know you want to create your own um uh podcast and business or whatever Real spill, sorry, on the way. <laughs> and marco works in uh Ha's school of business and he also does the hundred uh hundred black was it hundred black men hundred black men of, uh, of america with the bay area chapter all right so before we get into that Heem, where are you from? I am from Oakland, California, born in Berkeley. Um, Moved when I was about 10 years old to uh, San Ramon. Lived out there for about five years before moving to Texas. Lived in Texas for about three and a half years. Uh, Moved back to Oakland. Uh, Lived in Oakland again, Castro Valley. So I've I've bounced around all over the Bay, but I want to say Oakland because my family's from Oakland and uh, San Francisco Hunters Point. What did you move to Texas for? 
uh, high school. My mom, after my grandmother passed away, uh, she sold her home out off of uh, Sycamore Road down the street from uh, Oakland Zoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, after she sold her home, the family kind of broke up, and my mom took her portion and wanted to buy a home in a better area and put a, put me in a better position, also my brother that's eight years older than me. And he was already grown at the time, but she kind of wanted to move him out of the situation that he was in and uh, put me in a better place and moved us out to Texas and lived out there for three years, went to four high schools out there. And uh, almost fucking lost my life to uh, pneumonia in the worst case. Why were you uh, bouncing around high school to high school? Um, the first high school that I went to was really bad. Like, uh, it just, it was like Dangerous Minds. You remember Dangerous Minds? Mm-hmm. So it was like that. And uh, it was really fucked up. Where in Texas was this? Uh, this was Arlington. Uh, first school I went to was in Fort Worth. I went to Pasco. Pasco High School in Fort Worth. That was the one that was like Dangerous Minds. Hella bad. Um, then after that, I went to uh, Arlington Heights, which is in Arlington. After that, I went to Martin. Then after Martin, I went to Kennedale, and I, I stayed at Kennedale for two years, where I got pneumonia on my senior year and was in ICU for about three or four months. Wow. And, yeah, and then I was in the hospital for another four months. How would you get it? Um, so being from California, I'm not used to that 30-degree weather. It's cold as fuck out there. And so I would play basketball after practice, shirt off, just hooping with the rest of these cats. No problem. A couple days later, got sick, really bad. Thought it was bad. Went to the doctor. The first doctor, he literally told me, bend over, put his hand down my spine. He was like, oh, no, you're fine. Go ahead. Go home. Went home, got crazy sick, night sweats, couldn't stop coughing. So my mom took me to the emergency room. That's where the doctor was like, yeah, we need to take you to ICU right now because one of your lungs are collapsed. And another one is half fuck? full of fluid and being attacked by two other diseases. So immediately went into surgery, probably within a few hours after being dr- blood drawn and all this and that. Um, and uh, woke up, had tubes in every part of my body and uh, was in there for about three months, three, four months before they moved me out. And then, yeah. And then finally went to school with about three months left, finished, graduated and got in my first fight. The last two weeks of school and still fucking graduated. (laughs) (laughs) Senior year. So, did you go to uh, college in Texas? I did. I went to TCC, Tarrant County Community College, and I uh, enlisted for in TCU for a semester before moving. And we moved back to California where I went to a community college, uh, Contra Costa College in in, uh, Richmond. What were you studying in college? Uh, I did. Business marketing and what else? I started off with something else, uh, but I think most of it was business marketing and business was what I wanted to do. I was trying to make my way in the hospital, as a matter of fact, but uh, I couldn't. Unfortunately, it was for you know, finances and shit like that and connections. Yeah. So uh, how did you uh, how did you fall into uh, modeling? Uh. I I was working in San Francisco at the time. I was working for uh, uh, low income for uh, low income and uh, SRO properties in uh, in San Francisco. It's called TNDC, and I worked for them. And I was pretty much just doing that all the time. So I don't know. I was just kind of tired of doing that. I worked there for like three and a half years, and somebody approached me randomly at a club and was like, "Yo, you want to go to a fashion show?" And I said, "For a fashion show for what?" And it was like, "It's a Carlton Knight fashion show." A club in the Castro? 
No. Uh, <laughs> Snake tried to play. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan Slick, bro. Jordan yeah. Slick, bro. I'm just so, asking. No, no. It was actually 10, at 1015 Folsom for the Carl Kanai Fashion Show, and that was my first first show that I've ever done. And after that, um, you, I got- Wait, 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 wait. So you were in Carl Kanai Fashion Show? Yeah. yeah. What year was this? 2000 and- I remember Carl Kanai. Right. Was shit. Yeah. yeah. You look it up, you'll see the video. Ray J came through, uh, and uh, this was like the peak of Kardashian time where they could slid through and all the shit. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't know, maybe 2000. <laughs> 2008, something like that. I could be wrong. So that was your that was your first yeah, ever show, first Carl Kanai. And after that, uh, after the show was over, I got you know calls for you know cards and to do the shoots and shit like that, and a lot a lot of free shit. Mm. And then I got calls to do uh, show up at an agency, and uh, just kind of went from there and uh, fell into it, and then fell back out of it because I you know dealing with life, family, Damn. work. And uh, it wasn't paying the way I wanted it, so I started to teach. I did uh, assistant teaching. I worked in West Oakland at the YMCA mm. at the preschool. That was my first, uh, my first thing. My stepmother actually got me into that. She 124 from Market? Uh, yep. Yeah. yeah, right in that back street. Yep. yep. So I worked there with the, the infants and all that shit, man. And, uh, Do you have kids? I don't have any children, no. Mm. No, no. Not yet. No. Nah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a little bit where I'm from. I mean, you can – I can – Tell you a million things, man. I've seen life a lot so far. All right, so uh, Marco, you're uh, you're also from the Bay Area, correct? Born and raised in East Oakland. All right, now, um, how did you end up becoming the the? How did you end up having the position that you have now? Where you want to start? <laughs> Let's start from the streets of East Oakland. Okay, so. Um, Born and raised in East Oakland. Um, let me see. Pops died when I was 14. And uh, at that time, uh, my father was the only black man in the neighborhood who worked. Mm. Right. And uh, we lived in the 70s it's called 700. And, uh, you know, everybody was hustling. Right. Everybody selling dope, doing, you know, all kind of shit. And so when he died, I, I lost it. Right. I, lo- I kind of lost my way. Went out. And, uh, you know, started doing hella random shit, like stealing cars, selling dope, selling weed, you know, all kind of shit. Ended up in juvenile hall. And so I uh, was back. What, 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 what was the charge that uh, landed you in juvenile hall? Uh, first charge was a stolen car. But by the time I was 16, I went to jail 16 times. 16? 16. 16. 16. Yeah. So is that just random? Like you on the block, they pulling you in the whip? Because you know back in the day, that's yeah. how they, they used to just grab niggas, yeah. throw them in the yeah. Okay, they damn, beat the, they beat the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. And um, so high speed chase, stolen car, you know, drugs, all, all kind of shit, attempted robbery. I, I can't remember it all. Can but, I? Can I ask you? Because yep, when I was younger, I was I was so into like driving and like cars and shit like that, and uh, high speeds were always one of my. I, I kind of weirdly had a, a want to be in one one day when I was. All you gotta doing, do is go to a sideshow. <laughs> no, I've been in a sideshow, bro. I, I did throw a couple X. of times, but I, I wasn't in no so super high speed. But I, I didn't. I mean, you don't want to be in no super high speed chase. No, I wasn't. I do want to be in one because I got bars like that, bro. You ain't, finna get, you ain't getting away in uh, no shit like that. I, know, I, I don't want to. I can't. But anyway, have you been? If you can t- tell me on any high speeds and got away, like. And there's like a story where you was hitting hella corners and you got away. And you was like, I was smooth. No, but I did get away, but only so I got away, but I wasn't a driver. Okay. But the the, oh. the driver, we we ended up crashing. We hit hit a gang of corners. We actually started off on like uh, in San Leandro, hmm. um, 
Five O got behind us. We smashed, hit some corners, hit some corners, hit some corners. And then finally we hit one corner. I think it was like 96 and he's 14. And uh and I think they pit maneuvers. Like, you know, they hit the back of the car. Mm-hmm. So while we turning, you know, they hit the back of the car, we ran into the building. Now it's four of us in the car, and we all teenagers, right? And we kind of look at each other. We're like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? And then, you know, it's hella police cars behind us, and we all just bounce out and go our different ways. Damn. Um, I don't know how they do it now, but back then, it, it, it seemed like they only went for the driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ran, hit a couple corners, hopped in a dumpster, a church, park, uh, church parking lot dumpster, and just sat there for like an hour, waited till everything was gone, and walked, walked out. Damn. That's, that's kind of what happened to me. Same same fucking scenario. Yeah, I wasn't driving. We were in a uh, we were in a, uh, a sideshow on uh, MacArthur, and um, there's a shit ton of cars out there doing donuts. Shit ton of cars out there. Shit ton of people. But this cop randomly chose us to go out to us. But my cousin was driving, and we hit a couple uh, blocks, and then um, ended up parking in this alleyway. And then he just drove by. That's how we got away. But I was that was the first ever shit that I've been in. And I was scared like a motherfucker. I was never the person that would be in the car with a whole bunch of niggas because I always felt like that's just a number one way the cop can fuck with us. And it doesn't seem like the likelihood of us getting away during a situation. So I felt like one, maybe two cats in the car at the most is the best. But I always wanted to be the driver. Cause I want to make sure, you know, where we at. I want to know, look, you know, what I'm saying where the cops is at. But I've never had a situation where I had to be in a high speed. Cause I was always a dude parked like in the back of the, of the side show, and I walked up to the middle of yeah. the shit so I can yeah. see it. Yeah. And so when the shit jumps off, when it always does, I'll go back to my car and I can dip off smoothly. Right. So if the cops see you, they don't see me racing around. I'm, I'm in traffic. Right. I'm regular. I'm just driving through. I don't even know what's going on. Yeah. So I used to love side shows. They don't seem like they, they kind of like they're the same. Aesthetically, like the donuts, and, and it's nice, like a big circle. But I don't feel like it's the same as old, old school Chevelles and nah. old school Mustangs really nah. swinging. Yeah. Like muscle cars. Muscle cars yeah. really swing. I mean, it's muscle cars, but it'd be like new vets. Yeah, or like but a that's Pontiac. different. I mean, that's different yeah. than like a 350 or a, oh, you know what I mean? With some real heat or some slap to it. Or exactly. Some candy. I remember there was this one cat in, the, in Oakland. He was at all the parties. He had a box Chev. It was on some like eights or something. Candy. Like Apple, but he the, the the sound system was so crisp. He just parked it in the middle, and it was the music for everybody. Yeah, and that was one of some of my favorite moments. Whenever he showed up, I don't even know who that man is. It might be this cat named Marlo, but it was <laughs> it could be Marlo. Yeah, yeah. Marlo, shout out to Marlo with the clean ass. Yeah, Marlo, uh, come on uh, the show. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, all right. Continue what you were saying, Margo. Uh, so uh, after that, went to uh, YA, California Youth Authority. Mm. And so went there and a couple things happened, right? Because, you know, I'm, I, I had made up my mind I was going to be in the streets at this point, right? I'm like, you know, fuck all that, that straight shit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it took my freedom and I'm sitting there and I remember the feeling because I had to do four years in YA. And it's a situation where it's just like, there's nothing I can do to make this shit go by quicker, mm-hmm. right? I am stuck here. Dealing with this shit with somebody telling me when I can go shit, mm-hmm. when I can eat, when I can sleep, about a bunch of nothing but dudes, yeah. right? And, you know, it's it's all kind of funk and, you know, like wars, you know. We had the, the, the Serranos, which is, you know, Southern California, Mexicans, North Daniels, Northern California, Bloods, Crips, Bay Area. It's How old just, were you at this time? I, I was 16. 16. Yeah. yeah. And so it was just always something popping off. And because I'm actually from Oakland, 
that part didn't really get to me too much. Mm-hmm. What got to me was I don't like to be told what the fuck to do. Right. Right. I don't like to be in a situation where I can't just walk out. Yeah. Right. Like right now, I know I can just walk the fuck out if I want to, mm-hmm. but I don't like that. And that's what really, you know, made me change my entire mind on this whole criminal enterprise type shit. It's like, and this shit ain't worth it. Yeah. And then not only that, you know, you can just look and see that there's people out there making money, enjoying their life without committing crimes. Mm-hmm. So let me figure that shit out. Yeah. So got out of Hawaii. Four days before I got away, uh, my big brother Tyrone got shot in the back of the head. And so that was fucked up. Sorry. Yeah. Um, because I have three brothers, Tyrone, Donna Ray, and myself. And there's not a picture with all three of us in it that exists. Mm-hmm. Because from the time I was they're, they're, you know, they're like 10, they're like, they were teenagers when I was born, right? And so by the time I was a teenager, there wasn't a time when all three of us were out of jail. Yeah. And so, like, when I was getting out, it was so funny because everybody was excited. We was planning this family picture. They had, you know, booked the session and everything. And I just talked to him and then boom, he got killed. Mm. And so then um, I get out, come back to Oakland, deal with that shit, uh, and went to Laney, went to Merritt. I worked at UPS at the time. Uh, you know, night shift, going to school. Then so I don't mean to stop you, but um, when your brother was killed, was that the turning point for you? Say like, oh, I need to get my my shit together. What I I mean, I had thought that I need to get my shit together from from YA, right? But the turn, I guess the 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 the, the catalyst that my brother had for me was at that time I felt like he died for me. Like, because the shit that I was doing, I mean, we was doing some real fucked up shit, just to be honest with you. I mean, we was, you know, it was, you know, home invasions, like, you know, beating the hell out of people, you know. And and, I mean, honestly, just real bad shit that I'm, you know, I'm not proud of. And so me getting out and having a second chance, it just did. You know, I remember almost getting out when I was about to get out, just remembering like the cast that I had funk with before I went to jail. Like, you know, I'm going to get out. You know, they're going to come light up the house. You know, is my mom safe? Paranoia, the, yeah. Yeah, because we still live in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when he died, I kind of, I don't know why, something in my mind said, you know, he, he bared my sins, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was how I took that on. And so I uh, was working, went to school, uh, uh, got an AA, stopped going to school for a while, just focused on work, worked in a biotech um, industry for a while, then uh, let me couple biotech firms. Then got into outside sales. Um, I left the biotech firm because I had an asshole Russian manager, and me and him would fucking yell across the room at each other, like like cussing each other out. And I'm like, this shit is toxic, right? Mm-hmm. Why the fuck am I spending you know most of my life here? Yeah. And so then I came to UC Berkeley as an analyst, right? Mm-hmm. I came in to do some analyst work. Somebody I knew said, hey, we need some analyst work done. That's the same shit I was doing for the biotech firms. And I figured since I was doing sales, I'll do the analysis shit in the morning and then I'll do my sales calls in the afternoons. Perfect. And so that was going pretty well. That assignment ended. And one of the analysts that got hired, um, they got, she got hired on a Monday. Somebody died in her family. She had to leave and quit the job on Friday. And so they called me back. Mm-hmm. And so my trajectory through UC Berkeley, you know, I started off as an analyst, um, was there for a while, became an office manager office manager for a while, then became a chief of staff. I was about to leave UC Berkeley um, because I'm like, ain't no room for growth here. Um, and so uh, the dean there created this position, a chief of staff position for me, first black chief of staff there, and uh, did that shit for s- seven years. No, for nine years. Did that for nine years and then uh, recently just got promoted to the associate director of diversity and equity inclusion. 
And the reason that happened, how that happened is in my chief of staff role, I saw how fucked up shit was for black students at UC Berkeley, right? Mm-hmm. Black students would come and it's like three or four of them. And, you know, they'll be, if you could walk through UC Berkeley, and this is what they would tell me, and I think that um, you spoke on this, Jordan, that, uh, you know, you can go through and not see no black people, right? Mm. And so students would say that and say, oh, and I would say, okay, since I'm from here, let me connect y'all to the black people in the community, right? If you can't find no blacks on campus, I'm going to connect you to the, you know, the Black Joy Parade. I'm going to send you to the, you know, 100 Black Men Gala. I'm going to make sure you know about all these networking and all these events. And then I will be a support system for them. I will talk to them. Help them understand, help them uh, navigate their careers. I got a lot of connections in tech, and so I would help them, you know, connect them to tech jobs. You should have started a fucking like little black Facebook type of thing back then, like an app. You should have done. Oh man, yeah, because you already had the mindset. <laughs> you had all the components. You yeah. just needed the the UI or the, right. the back end type of shit. That's dope, man. That's Thank you. Great. And yeah. so uh, a new dean was hired recently because you're you're a chief of staff is a chief of staff to someone. I don't know if you realize that. You know, like. Donald Trump has a chief of staff. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like the person behind the scenes that makes a lot of shit happen. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody, we got a new dean. And so, you know, I was like, eh, I'm not sure if I want to be this new person's chief of staff. You know, I'm going to leave. And what they said was, okay, we're creating this new department at, at Haas um, that's based on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Why don't you go be the associate director there? And so that's how I got the position. And I've been in the role about six months now. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's a great fucking story. <laughs> Thank you, bro. So inspirational. I feel like you're because I've recently just lost somebody very close to me, and um, I know that kind of that feeling kind of pushes behind you. So whenever you're like doing something fucked up, or you have a fucked up uh, a feeling of doing something negative, they kind of fall into you. Do you feel like they kind of they 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 fall into your thoughts and to where it's kind of like, all right, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm back. I need to be back on track because I feel like this happened for a reason. Right. And it happened for me. Right. So, all right, I'm thinking negative. Like, how often does that happen and how difficult is that? Because I find that very difficult to kind of stay on track. But the fact that that happened, I feel like that kind of keeps me on track, that the, the, the loss that I had. So, for me, it's not necessarily negative thoughts. It's more so giving up. Mm-hmm. So, whenever – because this shit is hard. Yeah. I mean, honestly – you know, if if people think I'm successful, whatever the fuck that whatever the fuck that means or looks like, just being black is fucking hard. Mm-hmm. And then trying to you know give back and be black, and then on layer on top of that, you know, you want to make money, and then you want to fucking work out, right? And then you want to you know all this shit is is fucking difficult. Sometimes you just want to be like fuck this, yeah, right? And so for me, it's times when I when I'm there and I'm just like, man, you know, I don't want to do this shit. I'm I, I could you know just coast, mm-hmm. and it's just like nah, you know. It's people that don't have this opportunity right now. My brother, and you know, I've lost other people since then um, who don't have this opportunity, and I got to do it for them because they're not here. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's how that shit works out for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So explain to me. Uh, let's get into this. Uh, you touched on it. The hundred, uh, the hundred black black men. Can you explain uh, what that is? So the hundred black men is an organization that actually started in New York. Um, with like, you know, a hundred brothers who were just basically black professionals who was like, shit's fucked up, right? And this, uh, you know, and what you talk about, you know, we're talking about other races and they don't, we don't come together as blacks. Mm. And so it was like lawyers, doctors, and they're like, you know what? We need to come together. We need to build our community and we need to make sure we support each other and provide services for each other. And so they came together and they started the hundred black men. Um, and it started out there. That's in the like late 1960s, right? And so now it's a hundred black men of America. 
It's about 110 chapters. So it's one in most major cities. It's uh, Europe, Africa. And so we're the Bay Area chapter, 100 black men of the Bay Area. All these chapters have four things that they focus on. Um, mentoring, education, um, economic empowerment, and health and wellness. Wonderful. Now, you get to figure out, you know, per your chapter, how you want to live those things out. But, you know, and I, I can talk about those if you like, but basically, it's a group of brothers who realize that we need to come together mm. um, and we want to pay it forward and give back. Mm. I mean, the organization is it's crazy because, you know, we, we mentor, we volunteer, we fundraise, and we got to pay to be a part of it, right? Mm. So I'm paying to help you help this organization, but it's worth it because just realizing that if we don't do it, the shit's not going to get done. Yeah. And so we have two models in the organization. One is real men given real time because if you, a lot of people try to come into the organization and just get the, the name, right? Yeah, I'm a member of 100 black men that don't want to do shit. We don't fuck with them, right? Mm-hmm. We, you actually have to come here and work. Mm-hmm. And the second one is what they see is what they'll be. And so we want to make sure that, you know, kids and young black, young black boys, and young black girls get to see that there actually are black men, black professionals out there that's doing positive things. And for me, that, that was so pivotal because when my dad died, I didn't have that. And that, you know, sent me on a fucked up path. And had I had that, had I known that I could be a black lawyer, had I known I could be a black engineer, I'd probably be a lot further in life than I am right now. 100%. Right. But I had no clue. And so for me, it's important to make sure that, you know, this next generation understands that. And I'll just finish with this. Like, I live in East Oakland. I live on I live on 92nd in East Oakland. I live in the hood. Mm. And that's intentional. I could have moved out. I've never left East Oakland. And the reason is, is that I think it's important for the kids in my community to see me. Now, I ain't, gonna, I ain't all that, right? I'm, I'm just a normal-ass dude, drive a normal-ass car, and you know, whatever. But it's important for them to see, like, hey, there is a black man that gets up and goes to work every day. There is a black man who, you know, will put on some nice shoes. There is a black man that don't sag. I don't got shit. I don't got nothing against sagging. But so that way they can I have do. something. I, I can't stand that. Yeah, shit. So, you shouldn't be sagging. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. But so that way they can just have something like that to aspire to. Because I think what happens is the black flight. We talk about gentrification, which is something I hate. It's something I fight against. And I can talk about that with, with the shit I do with tech. But you don't you're not for gentrification. I'm not for gentrification. You think and, it's a bad thing. I think it's a bad thing. And here's why. Because what happens is Oakland was a wonderful place. Right? Still is a wonderful place. Well, let me, let me finish. It was more wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. When we had a lot more black people here. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, a lot of time when black people see a modicum of success, mm-hmm. they move out to go be with the whites. Mm-hmm. And now the whites come and take over our neighborhoods that we, we cultivated, that we made popping. And then we can't move the fuck back because we can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for me to stay right where I am. So that way, even though it's a lot of people in the community that have left, mm-hmm. I'm still here and I'm going to stay here. Okay. Is uh is your your thinking is that because like you stated before you said your your father when you were growing up your father in East Oakland was the only one working yeah so is that why you stay in East Oakland yeah. so the people can see you working yeah okay and also uh about gentrification since we're on that subject how do black people I ask you guys a question. So when gentrification happens, change happens, right? So you'll see stores pop up, street potholes get fixed, um, houses get torn down, like, and then apartments being built. So basically, a lot of people will look at that and be like, well, look at what was here before. There wasn't no Whole Foods. There wasn't no stores. Whole Foods is bringing employment. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. to people. Uh, there were, the streets were fucked up. We fixed all these goddamn streets. If gentrification would have happened, didn't happen, uh, you guys will still have these fucked up little areas. Now, what do you say about that? For me, it's, 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 it's deeper than what you see on the surface level because the problem with all this dilapidated, all this other, just the negative shit that you'll see in the neighborhoods that get gentrified is that all the opportunity was taken away. So, if you have a neighborhood where people can't make money, if they can't support their family, if they can't feel like a man, if you will, and have a, a esteem about being able to do these things and provide, then people start to not care for the things that are around them, right? But it, it comes from a lack of opportunity, right? And so what happened is, especially in Oakland, Oakland had all this opportunity, and then all that opportunity was taken out, and you left the people there, and the fucking neighborhoods went to shit. Right. There's some I mean, I, I'm born and raised in Oakland. I love Oakland, but we do have some neighborhoods, some houses that went to shit. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then opportunity is gone. Now, all of a sudden, the tech sector is coming back. Right. And now all this opportunity is here in the Bay Area. And so now you, you're flying people in from Utah. You're flying people in from the Netherlands to take these jobs and take these homes. Right. If the opportunity had been there or if you made this opportunity available to the people in the community, then that community that's there doesn't need to be gentrified. They will fix their own, their own shit, their own problems. But the problem is, is that that's not what's happening. What's happening is, and you know, I deal with this because um, I do a lot of, through the 100 Black Men, I do a lot of panels and hiring fairs to get black and brown people into tech. But the problem is, is that tech companies here in the Bay Area, they're flying people from all over the nation to take the job that's here, even though we got people that's qualified to do the job that's already here. And they're not hiring us. And so now you got people who born and raised in these communities and you got the Whole Foods and all those other things and they can't afford to live here. Do you think black people care enough? I mean, do you think there's enough black people that care enough about tech to get hired? Yeah. And so and, and here's the key point. And uh, so I, I host a panel on non-engineering careers at Bay Area tech companies. And so all the jobs in tech where you don't have to know how to code, because what most people don't understand and which is why I, I started doing it is every job that you do at any company, the tech company needs. Now, so you don't have to give a shit about coding. You don't have to go know anything about coding to work at Google. Google needs somebody that's going to be a recruiter. Google needs accountants. Google needs janitors. Google needs all this other shit. And if you work at Google as opposed to this spot across the street, you do the same thing for them that you do for them, it'll triple your salary. But a lot of people think tech and they think coding, so they don't apply for those jobs. And that's the difference. You can be whatever you are. You can be a fucking podcaster at a tech company and make triple your income or whatever the fuck you're doing right now. And that's the stigma. That's the that's the that's the what, what we have to demystify. It's the lack and of a, information. And a, stuff exactly. Like this exactly. That's putting that information out there. And so. a lot of yeah, a lot of people don't even <coughs> believe they can get hired. Like they they're like, oh, I'm a janitor, but. What's the chance of the me getting hired of, at Google to be a janitor? Like that, yeah. Right. So a lot of people are automatically defeated before they well, even it's like, start. It's it. lack of influence. So if your if your friends around you and your peers around you aren't even talking about tech or even know anything about it, and you're interested in it, you have to outsource that yourself, and then you have to find this information out yourself. And that kind of that takes some. Some people are lazy; they're not going to you know do that outside of their own little because they don't want to look at be looked at as. I don't know, weird, because they're choosing to do something that's not normal within their community and their peers and what they're doing. So I think it's just lack of influence, lack of people around them. They're 
the peers and lack of information. And, you know, it's not being pump, pumped into our everyday culture within uh, whatever we look at on Instagram or Twitter or uh, whatever people are looking at these days are not seeing anything enough to where you can work here. You can do this. You, you know, being who you are, you can do that here and make a bunch of money. Mm. And then back to, I guess, building your community and why, as far as the gentrification goes, mm. I feel like that's also uh, influence. I feel like a lot of these cats that, uh, that do very well within the community, let's say, even if you do well uh, by selling drugs or if you do well, whatever, if you got money by ra rapping, take that little bit of money that you're spending on $10,000 of uh, clothes or jewelry, take that little $10,000 to open up a store and paint it the way you want to do it. So the people that are your fans, they come by and see this. These kids, they see you're opening up businesses. Like Nipsey. How did you exactly see that? How how many, how that grew, how that spread? It's sparking mm -hmm. up minds. You know what I'm saying? Somebody can learn how to just buy that abandoned house next to them and turn it into a fucking pool hall or Instagram, a, a podcasting place. Like something that you want to do, but you let these people know, let these kids know that you are able to do it. It's attainable. You can do it. You know what I mean? But no one that they're watching on their feed or on any of these videos and people that they look up to are telling them any of that other than what to buy and what to wear and what to listen to. They're not being told how to better their lives, how to be healthier. You know what I mean? That's just not pumped into our culture enough. But I think now because of the podcast and the social media that it will be and it will go in that direction. But it's important that we have these type of conversations other than talking about, you know, I don't know. Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to put out anything to say. Yeah, that's why, I, that's why I said bullshit. Bullshit. So, uh, Marco, you know about business business and all that, right? So, uh, in front of you, you have two people who are aspiring to have... I mean, I I just launched my company, but I really... Congratulations. I um, basically... I'm one of those people who don't know shit, who didn't know shit about business, who just took a chance and be like, yo, I'm, I'm just going to do it and see... I mean, if I already know I'm going to fail before I succeed. And Heem, um, you haven't spoke about your business, uh, what you wanted to do. But uh, Marco, what's the first, what's, what are advice, what's some advice that you would give someone who either wants to start a business or who started a business and is, uh, wants it to grow? Well, it depends on the business, but I'll, I'll, I guess some general themes are... <clears throat> especially in the black community, we're afraid of failure, right? If, if, if somebody dropped out of high school or dropped out of college in the black community, that's looked negatively upon, right? In other communities, white communities, that's perfectly okay, right? Taking a gap year or somebody losing their job. That's, that's, you know, all these things that we see as negatives, you have to understand those are some of the best things that can happen to you. So the first thing I would say is we use this phrase at UC Berkeley, fail forward. Fail as often as possible and learn from it, right? And don't don't allow that shit to to be a part of your subconscious or or part of how you see yourself. It's, failure is good. It's okay to fail. And every successful company that you've seen, they had ideas that 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 they tried and failed on a hundred times, and they finally got it right. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is, um, whatever you are, whatever whatever it is you're trying to do, you need to network as much as fucking possible. Right. And I'm talking about you need to over network and not that, you know, this bullshit where you're walking around handing out business cards. That's not networking. That's just the shit that, you know, amateurs do. You need to be uh, strategic and you need to build alliances. Something I learned at UC Berkeley is that big business, 
the way that they operate, we hear about the big money deals, um, but those big money deals happen because of who you know and favors. And uh, successful, you know, people and, and especially and all successful people, they do favors for one another. Right. And so what that looks like is um, him, you, you, you got somebody flying in and they think about coming to UC Berkeley um, and they want to get a tour. Now, I don't do tours. That shit is just not my job description. But you know what? I'll do that tour. I'm going to do you that favor. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now I'm, I'm going to take this time, do this favor, show these folks around, whatever. Now, subconsciously, and I'm not even going to say it, but you know you owe me, mm-hmm. right? And so when I reach out to you and I say, hey, oh, you did, you did, you did the fashion? You said Ray J was there? Mm-hmm. Okay, can you connect me to him? Yeah. Because I got this idea and I know that he's doing this thing in tech, you know, with, with the earphones and whatnot. And now you connect me to that, not realizing that because of that connection, I done made a, a $2 million business deal. Yeah. All over this, this, this small ass favor that I did, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of business gets done that way. But- Making a connection is more important. I mean, I guess that's the, the building block of it. And I'll say, as the chief of staff, and well, let me take a step back. Um, I do this thing with these panels with tech companies. I got about 20 tech companies that I work with. And um, I may I have connections in them. And the reason I have connections with them is because at some point, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. As the chief of staff, I'm secure. I'm not looking for a job. I start going to networking events. And I would meet people. And I'm meeting people. And I'm getting their information. And I lead with, how can I help you be successful? What can I do to help you achieve your, co- your, your goals this quarter, annually, whatever the fuck the case may be? Let me take you out to lunch. Let me take you out to coffee. It's a lot of fucking conversations, right? But people know me, mm-hmm. right? And now, if they ask me for something, I guarantee to do it, right? Because now what happens is now when they think of Marco, they think of somebody that's reliable, mm-hmm. right? And so now I got all these connections with all these folks who... I can call on at any point in time for whatever the hell I need, which is how I was able to, you know, start this whole, these panel discussions. And so get out there and network. And what I would do is I'll just be honest. You could, it's, it's so much shit that goes on, especially here in the Bay area that if you have a free night, you should not be fucking watching Netflix. You should not be doing some bullshit. You need to get your ass out there. You can go on Eventbrite. Eventbrite has so many events for VCs. Like you can go meet VCs, startup founders, uh, tech, you know, whatever the fuck the space is, there's somebody there. I would go to shit for like people selling solar panels, right? Because you just never know. Mm-hmm. Go there, make these connections and establish these relationships. And then when you establish these relationships, the more you do that, the more what, what we call it is a hub. And I, excuse me. I became something like what, the, what you would call a hub. And what would happen is because I know so many people. Once I know that you're doing a podcast, mm-hmm. right, and I know that he sells microphones, right, mm-hmm. I'm going to connect y'all two, right? Mm-hmm. And now both of y'all see me as a resource because I got you something that you need, you got him something. And the more you do that, the more connection you have and your business will flourish because what will happen is when people know what the fuck you got going on, your name will be spoken in rooms that you don't have access to. And that is a huge advantage that you can have over a lot of other people, because especially as as black people, we only have access to so much. Right. But and when I'm networking, I'm not just networking with black people. Let's just be clear on that. I'm networking with every fucking body that's available. But I want my name spoken in every room possible. So that way, when people think X, Y and Z, I want somebody in that room say, oh, I know a guy and they come to me. And so, I mean, those are two basic points. Let me know your thoughts. 
Oh yeah, I, I mean, a hundred percent agree. Um, and that whole spiel that you said about the Eventbrite, I st- after I heard you say that the first time, I started to do that too, and um, and go on like uh, Eventbrite and seeing like media going on a meet uh typing in media what events i can go to so i I have a whole list of shit that i'm gonna be popping up in the near coming months and i'm gonna do uh, so that was that was great advice yeah uh him yeah i mean uh i definitely try to especially if i don't if i'm not familiar with whatever field that i'm trying to go into i try to immerse myself in anything to do with that as far as like meetups or like i went to afrotech just because i wanted to just uh, as far as just get, gain some into respect, uh, some different perspectives from individuals that know shit that I'm completely in the dark about. But I want your, you know, your insight on certain things. But I, you know, I showed up and I had a knee scooter and shit, and uh, I had a big ass cast, so I wasn't really talking to anybody. So I just went straight to each uh, little seminar that I went to. But yeah. that was a, an unbelievable experience. That uh, I'm glad that it's happening more so up here because. It looked like Wakanda in there. It really right. Blew yeah, I was my there. Mind, it was fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, I think it's very important for a person to uh, put themselves in any situations that they can gain contact, uh, connections or insight on anything that they're doing. So, yeah. Another thing that I'll, I'll, I'll add, I mean, you, you spoke on a bit earlier, uh, you know, when you try to do, you know, that 10K deal. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, again, I think that, you know, as business owners, you have this idea that you want to flourish and you, and many times we're very specific on what we want that to look like. And sometimes we need to partner with other people and what that partnership might look like. Your original idea might change a little bit, Mm -hmm. but if it keeps the basic substance, be willing to change, right? Because that partnership, being open-minded is very important. That partnership will help expand your boundaries. And um, I think that's one of the reasons or one of the ways that a lot of black businesses don't succeed is because we're not, we try to do it all on our own, yeah. right? Because we want all the profits, you know, and so we try to do it all and you can't. And if you look at every tech company, they have co-founders. Mm-hmm. That's just intentional because you can't take it all on your own. Mm-hmm. 100%. But do you think um, it's it's having sole ownership of your creation is, is a powerful thing? Hell yeah. So, but uh, do you think a person should try that at first or are you saying that they should, um, they should seek partnership at first? It depends on the idea. Again, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are some things that you probably can do by yourself, especially with some smaller businesses. But I will say this is that a partnership doesn't necessarily have to mean 50, 50, right? It could be 90, 10, but either which way, you have someone helping you with your original idea so that way you're not taking all on the load by yourself. Yeah. And like I said earlier, you know, and you know, as black men, you got enough shit going on. You got enough shit going on that just living is going to be fucking difficult, mm-hmm. you know? And so when you take on this new endeavor that you're trying to move forward, um, that's a lot more weight. And you'll find yourself in a lot of more situations where you're thinking, I want to give up, right? I think on your, on your Instagram, you posted mm-hmm. something uh, about... You know, people think, don't let social media fool you. People think entrepreneurship is sexy, but mm-hmm. you're going to be broke. You're going to be have some hard ass times. Mm-hmm. You are. Mm-hmm. But it's better to be able to share some of those hard times and outsource some of the shit that you got going on than to have to take it all on your own. Because that stress will break you down. You yeah, it will. I mean, it will cut that time in half and that confidence that you want to go forward. If you don't have somebody to rely that, uh, bring that on and help bring in their ideas as well. 
take off some of that stress, it'll break that that type of stress will break you down and discourage you from going further. And, like and you, also bl- put blinders on you yeah. from seeing other people that are around you that are also people that are probably good resources as well. Exactly. You know? And you need a second opinion. Yeah. Right. We we get caught up, we we get bullheaded, you know, we we want to do shit our way. And sometimes you need a second opinion to say, hey, I know you think we should go right, but here's why you might want to consider going left. And then yeah. all of a sudden it's like, ah, that's you you got a fucking good point. And not only that, I love those moments. Yeah. Like you have a pneumonia for three months. If you're doing shit by yourself and you catch pneumonia for three months, everything shuts down. Mm-hmm. Let's just say six, you get six months. Six months. You get falsely <laughs> imprisoned for whatever reason, right? You whatever the fuck, yeah. something bad can happen. And if you're the only one doing it, you 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 shit out of luck. Mm-hmm. But if you have a partner that can keep the vision going, for whatever reason, you know, if you need to take a business trip to China to meet with somebody for a month, right? Mm-hmm. You need somebody that's on your team that's gonna keep the vision going. All right. Well, this is this is the part of the podcast where I let um, I let you guys want to if you guys want to promote anything like him, if you want to promote your your the real spiel coming soon. And then Mark. Yeah. And Marco, if you want to promote anything, if you I mean, tell the people your social media where to. uh, So, Marco, you can tell the people um where they can find you on social media if they want to reach out, if like people are listening to this and they just want some advice from you, you can like give them your email or whatever, give them your uh, Instagram, uh, tell them how we can, how can someone learn about, learn more about the hundred black men. So got it. So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll plug. Well, so find me on Instagram, uh, black underscore gallivanter. I travel a lot, and so I took on that name. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at uh, Marco T. Lindsay. Um, 100 Black Men, 100blackmenba.org. Um, you can find, I mean, that's our website. You can find every member we have, every initiative that we got going on. Um, and then also, March 18th, we're hosting a panel discussion that, you know, everyone should fucking, you should be there. And uh, it's for black and, get again, get more black and brown people in tech. It's on Eventbrite, and it's called Non-Traditionally Trained Engineers in the Bay Area. And the idea is... There's a lot of folks here who know how to code, but they didn't go to MIT, mm-hmm. right? And so what we've done is we've got some recruiters, we got some tech companies, um, we got some folks that are going to be in the building who are going to be able to connect you to the jobs that they have because they get in trouble for not having black and brown people. That shit is bad press. So even if they don't want to do it because they're good people, they want the good press, right? And so what we're doing is on March 18th, non-traditionally trained engineers in the Bay Area, and it's not just for engineers. They're hiring for all roles. Right. And so like I was talking about earlier, if you look, if you're an accountant, you know, you want to go there. If you're a mechanic, I mean, everything. And I'm telling you, these big tech companies, they literally have everything. They have fucking car washers. They have bike repair people. They have. I mean, so you should be there. March 18th is going to be at the Oakland Impact Hub. I do everything in Oakland and uh, you can find on Eventbrite. And we love to have you there. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Non-traditionally trained engineers in the Bay Area. So is that what you type in when you go to Invent, right? Yep. Just put actually just put non-traditionally and it should come up. But non-traditionally trained engineers in the Bay Area. All right. And uh, you can find me on that team. That's what is Z underscore team. <laughs> uh, yeah. Got some stuff. That's it, nigga. I mean, I mean, as far as this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what can uh, in the future? What's, what what do you got going on in the future? What are you working on? Uh, well, just recently, now that I'm getting back into the swing of things after uh, my Achilles rupture, I'm good walking now. So um, I'm just now getting back into my modeling. A, a couple of agencies have 
been contacting me. I've been back active. So um, getting into that uh, work. So I'm just doing normal life things. And you have a you have a podcast. And coming my podcast soon? that's coming soon is called The Real Spiel. Uh, just look out for it. You'll see it. Don't worry. About it, it might be uh, produced by Everyday Celebrity Media. <laughs> <laughs> we can definitely have more of these. Man. We we we, we, so we, we got to talk about in. that. You know I mean? But uh, yeah. Thank you, Marco. Thank you, Heem, for coming on the show. Uh, very educational, very uplifting and inspiring conversation. Uh, search for these brothers on their social media. Um, yeah, listen to what they say. If you want to reach out to them, they gave you ways to reach out. If you want to reach out to me, everydaycelebritymedia.com, everydaycelebritymedia, CEO on Instagram, everydaycelebpo, Twitter. And... If you didn't catch their shit, you can reach out to me and then I can connect you to them. And yeah, so that was episode 16. Any last words? Let's make sure that we connect. All, all three of us. Seriously. 100%. I mean, we, we, we're talking about this, this, this black business, this black connectivity. You got shit going on. You got shit going on there. I'm certain there's a way I can help y'all. For sure. I don't yeah. even know what exactly it is you're doing. And I'm pretty sure... You're you helping now just I, by I, talking. I'm pretty sure some y'all can do that can help me, right? And I, if I we, can be secretive at times, but uh, yeah. as soon as we get someone comfortable... <laughs> I, I see that. I see that. You real yeah, you 007 over there. contracts and shit. <laughs> right, right. NDA. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. So uh, thanks again, Marco and Heem. Uh, Everyday Celebrity, we out. You. Peace, love, and love progression. Yeah. Out. <laughs>